All right, this is the QTR Podcast. Feeling happy that you're with me. I have to say that. It is mid-January 2022, and I am stoked to be talking to a living legend today, Dr. Ron Paul. Very happy about that. First and foremost, I want to remind my listeners that this podcast is brought to you by my patrons, Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout out my patrons. I'm going to give you two rules for the podcast, and then we are going to get on with today's interview. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion has been in business now for nearly a decade. They have done $3 billion in sales. They turn around my orders very quickly. It is the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion. And if you don't feel like navigating the website, going through their inventory, which usually, in my experiences, has been better stocked than most other bullion dealers, you can always reach out to Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. You can shoot her an email, tell her you're a QTR podcast listener. She is there to help you out with anything you may need ordering gold and silver bullion. She's going to make it painless for you. She'll answer any questions that you have. Uh, These guys ship their orders discreetly. I've had just great experiences with JM Bullion. So happy to continue to have them as a supporter of the podcast and to shout them out on every single podcast because I love the guys. So shoot JM Bullion a play. Their information is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Doomberg. Doomberg is a 100% free Substack to read, one of my absolute favorites to read. I just did an interview with Doomberg actually this past week that I published on my Substack, Fringe Finance. Uh, both the links to Doomberg and my Substack are in my podcast description. Doomberg takes a skeptical look at markets, they pepper it with a little bit of humor. It's just great reading. If you are cut from the cloth that most of us are that listen to this podcast, that hosts this podcast, (laughs) you'll enjoy their content. Uh, I really enjoy reading their perspective. It acts as a wonderful counterbalance to the bilge in the financial media. So check out my friends over at Doomberg. It is 100% free to subscribe. That link is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my buddy George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George Gammon has teamed up with Chris McIntosh and Lynn Alden and Brent Johnson to bring you all types of content in addition to George Gammon's YouTube channel, which is a wonderful place for informative content, and his new Rebel Capitalist channel, which I've appeared on over the last couple of weeks. You can go check those out under his or my YouTube. The links are all there. Uh, George offers daily, uh, almost daily Q&As. He does, I think, like three or four Q&As a week with the experts that he has. He has daily participation in his Rebel Capitalist Pro forums, which I love hanging out on. Lots of great informative content over there. They talk everything. Mainly George's focus on is preserving wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks, But there's also great resources like mock portfolios, um, analysis on individual companies, commodities, geographical locations, lots of things to find useful over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. They are well worth the money. Check them out. The podcast 
uh, description. All the information is in the podcast description is what I'm trying to say. Get it together, Chris. This podcast also brought to you by my friends Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus over at the Steam Room. The Steam Room really is the original gangster, the OG of flow. That's actually what it says on their website. And I've been saying that shit for like a couple weeks or a couple years now. I've been calling them the OGs of flow. 20 years ago, our prophet of profit was just a kid in Brooklyn looking for a way to put his neighborhood gambling smarts to good use. So he got a job as a broker and quickly realized the key to making money wasn't being smart. It was about tracking the smart money. And that is where Wall Street Jesus and Sang Lucci came up with the idea for the steam room, which tracks all types of flow in the market, all types of sentiment in the market. It is a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing piece of software that provides real-time analysis flow, detection of unusual activity, uh, and Wall Street Jesus's live broadcast. Uh, so check out the Steam Room. If you want to try it for free, reach out to Wall Street Jesus or Sanglucci. Tell them I sent you and that you want a free trial. They'll make sure that you get it. No credit card, no bullshit, no obligation, etc. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris B., Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, Jay Minzmeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, and Camila Soul. I also want to thank some of my newest patrons, Todd Lorman, Gator Patriot, Matthew Miller, Justin Reynolds, Brett Moore, Joe Dierte, Abinash Panda, Richard Southwell, thank you so much, Felipe F. and Daniel Richard II, Nomad Above and Beyond is still in the house, John Ritchie is still with me, Philip Macrevis still in the house, I appreciate the shithead of you, my brother, and also Mr. Quinn Levin, what's going on, my friend? I'm going to shout out just some people that have been with me for a little bit longer also, like Michael Kantowski, thank you so much, Kenneth Zvielan, been in the house for more than three years of support, dude. Thank you so much. Same with you, Mark Woolard and Baz Trading and Jean Guel. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your continued support. This podcast has a three-drink minimum. I am not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. This is just open discussion for the purposes of shooting the breeze. You shouldn't take anything that I say as a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Please consult your own financial advisor if you have any financial questions and consult your therapist if you have any other questions because I don't really feel like dealing with any of them. Having said that, really stoked about today's interview. On the line with me today, I'm honored to have Dr. Ron Paul. Uh, I'm sure all of my listeners know Dr. Paul. He's a former two-time presidential candidate and Republican congressman from Texas. He's currently the chairman of the Ron Paul Institute and host of one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to all the time, which is the Ron Paul Liberty Report. You can find it on uh, Apple iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's pretty much anywhere and everywhere that you can find podcasts. How are you today, Dr. Paul? Doing fine, Chris. Nice to be with you again. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for taking the time for me today. I genuinely appreciate it. I actually saw it. Did you meet my friend George Gammon a couple of weeks ago? I saw a photograph of the no, two of you. No, two days ago. It was this past Sunday. Oh, was and it? it? <laughs> yeah, and it was, in, uh, it was in Houston. You know, I had bumped into him at a, some type of a meeting a couple of months or so ago, and he said, oh, I'm gonna, you're coming to my function. And uh, I said, oh, okay, yeah. I said, he says, you know, it's going to be in Houston. I says, I, I, I know that, and that's why I'm coming, because he knew. <laughs> see, I'm, uh, I've 
but you become pretty annoyed with uh, commercial flying. Sure. Uh, and so uh, every once in a while I'll go because they'll offer me somebody to come and pick me up and uh, fly me there, but I'm just not going to put up with the commercial flying. I, there's, a, there's a limit of what I have to do. So I'll, I'll do the phone calling and the, and the Zooming, and uh, sometimes people will get me a ride, or if it's not real, real far, I'll drive. But it's... Uh, no more commercial airlines unless things change dramatically. <laughs> well, George is, uh, in my opinion, he's a, he's a good friend of mine. He's doing, he's really doing God's work when it comes to explaining the intricacies of monetary policy as it exists today and, you know, different ways to try to preserve wealth in, you know, a world of out-of-control central banks is what he says, but he does a really great <laughs> job of breaking those concepts down. So he's a he's a good ally to have, Doctor Paul. Yeah, and he's been he's been and, and you know he hasn't these conferences and all he hasn't been done this doing this for a long time. No, he hasn't. Not a tremendous amount of experience in this type of organization, but he's been very successful and he had a real nice conference, you know, and a lot of people and and a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, he has. Uh, he's tapped into the main vein, and he he's done it uh, in short order. But it speaks to his ability, I think, to articulate and uh, right. to touch he'll, on topics. He'll be that, around. Yeah, exactly. Right. That people care about. So let's let's just dive right into it. Um, the first thing I want to ask you: you just brought up commercial flight. Uh, we were talking off the air a second ago just about how counterintuitive everything has become with regard to COVID. Uh, do you see things easing up in 2022? Do you see us coming to our senses at all? Gradually. Uh, you, you know, it, it's been said that uh, people people lose their minds uh, as, a, as a group, as a mob-like. Uh, they go out of their minds and the hysteria hits. But they all regain their sanity one person at a time. <laughs> and I think that has started. And uh, it might be better than one person at a time. But I think it, I think we're turning the, the band. We, we had a bit of optimism today on our program because, uh, you, you know, it's being recognized by the establishment, uh, uh, so-called so, so scientists, that they're coming around and saying, you know, maybe these uh, boosters aren't all what they are paying it up to be, you know. And they aren't, all that stuff. In the, the condemnation of, of ivermectin and prohibitions against using it, that's all starting to be challenged. So I would say things are moving in the right direction. And I loved it when I thought the biggest breakthrough is when the, uh, the first football game occurred. I think some Texas teams were playing and they had been locked down for so long. And I think 100,000 people showed up without any masks. I think it was in Texas. So that's that to me was a breaking point because that didn't satisfy everything because you still have crazy things going on in the different states. But then you started hearing more Texas improved after this and Florida has always done well. So in a way, part of what the founders planned for us has been a benefit to us. You know, if you don't like what New York City's doing, move. If you don't like San Francisco anymore, <laughs> find another place. So in that sense, uh, there's been some help. But, you know, the one thing that we worry about in Texas, as they had, I remember when going up to New Hampshire during the campaign because they were, you know, really independent and libertarian, but they were really worried about those people coming out of Massachusetts. And even in Texas, you see signs, yes, welcome to Texas, but keep your politics in California. <laughs> I saw somebody had posted a similar uh, 
billboard to that. Don't be bullied. I think it said from somewhere in Texas. And I was like, Oh, I really like that. You know, I have a, I'm in the midst of writing a column that might actually be published by the time that I publish this podcast, or if, if not, it'll be out the next day. Um, that touches on that, and it's it's called uh, Capitalism and Common Sense Are Going to End the Vaccine Mandates. And I think, you know, I'd be interested in your opinion. Do you think that there is a free market argument for businesses that choose, you know, to end mask mandates, provided that they are, uh, you know, unfortunately given permission by their state, local government or federal government? But then they choose to then take those mandates down. Do you think the consumer is ready to seek out businesses like that where they can, you know, where they can go yeah. and not have to worry about those things? I do. I think they're they're going to do it, and they have done it. And some of the places that have stood up against those mandates have done well. They <clears throat> stayed open, and, 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 and things went okay uh, for them. But that's a real mixed bag because the – I, I really complain a lot about the mandates, of course, is the bad principle. But the government always falls back and says, oh, we're not enforcing this. It's, a, it's, a, it's just going to be voluntary. The businessman can do it. <laughs> but, but they blackmail the businessman. The, right. So many businesses. I mean, if you're an airline or a big company, uh, you, you know darn well they're going to have a lot of dependency. So we have, a lot, we have too much corporatism where we don't have independence. Now, if you had a true free market, there'd be no problems. But no, we we have it where the government is to be. Well, that might be one of the benefits when we meet up with our uh, big bankruptcy where where the, uh, the system doesn't function very well and uh, everybody has to cut back. Uh, and, and then there will be, if we can retain a certain amount of our freedoms, we could overcome this. And uh, talking at George's conference the other day, I said the most important investment you make is investment in protecting liberty because we'll work it out if we can. You know, like if you don't have an income tax and you don't have inflation uh, and you don't have government regulations, you don't have thousands and thousands of pages that nobody can read, I said we'd recover rather quickly. So to me, that's where my investment goes. My time and energy goes into protecting liberty. And, uh, yes, it, it would work. But under these circumstances, uh, the answer is unclear uh, because some places it's going to be better than others. Uh, some people, you, you know, in some of these states, uh, uh, they won't budge an inch. In the states, uh, technically, they all of a sudden hide behind the Constitution or the corporations. The corporations, this is free enterprise, and they're doing it, even though they've been technically uh, forced to do it. And then the states say they'll do it, uh, even though everybody knows it's coming from the federal government. Because, you know, not only uh, are the corporations beholding to the government and the money, all the states are beholding to them. But I, I see, I think this past week, uh, and even as bad as Chicago is, there's a little crack in the scene there about, uh, you know, the strikers, uh, you know, on the schools. The people are starting to speak out. So I think that is all good and they should be encouraged. It's funny when you talk about enforcement, too. Because when you watch enforcement of these mandates, I mean, look, the mandates are spurious and they're an overreach to begin with. But then when you try to watch these local businesses enforce it, it's just a comedy of errors. You know, you have some businesses that just don't enforce it because they know that it's nonsense. So they risk, you know, getting the fine or whatever. Then you have other businesses like one I was in a couple weeks ago 
where, you know, they asked for a vaccine card, which I provided to them, and then nobody checked my identification. They just checked, <laughs> they just looked at my vaccine card, you know, it could have said my name was George Jetson on it, and nobody would have been the wiser. So, you know, when they sit me down at a table after that, as if, you know, they've done some type of due diligence there, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, you know, take this interaction and multiply it by 300 million, like, this is how counterintuitive this is and then also too and i don't want to you know i don't want to pick on anybody in specific but when you see health officials on television preaching about how important the boosters and the vaccines are when they themselves are horribly out of shape they you know yeah. they, they clearly don't take care of themselves you know you can't help but wonder you know is the is the is the tail wagging the dog here is the cart in front <laughs> yeah. of the horse right well, I'll tell you the one uh, point that we make that is uh, uh, very attention-getting and, and it persuades some people and it angers people, and that is hypocrisy, you know, by the politician who's preaching this and is putting all these things on us, and then the minute they get a chance to sneak off, they go and they don't follow <laughs> their own rules. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, I, if, if you see that and you have the opportunity, you point that out because the that really gets the people upset. That means they don't believe anything they tell you, and their motivations are quite a bit different than worrying about your health. And uh, that that is that goes on every every day. You read some some uh, you know there was a couple this week uh, ended up in Florida. Take, oh, AOC was in Florida and took her mask off. What what a hypocrite! So hypocrisy is something that sort of is bipartisan. People people uh, oh it wouldn't be like Republicans reject hypocrisy. Nobody likes hypocrisy. You know, if you're a crook, you don't even like hypocrisy. You gotta, you gotta obey the rules of the, of the crime scene. You know that you're doing hypocrisy. Lie is is just flat out lying and punishing other people. And I think we'll see more and more of that uh, coming, and people get upset. But it also gives people confidence that you know, if they don't have their mask on, and that's the first thing right. they do is take their mask off. Maybe they're not that. That, uh, important. <laughs> and you're 100% right. You know, in the early 2000s, when I watched you on the presidential debate stage, which was the first time I ever got introduced to you, I was in my early 20s. I just graduated college. And, you know, I was I really enjoyed what you had to say. I think you were probably speaking about ending the war. And I was I was really, uh, you know, I took a liking to it. So I went and looked up your record because I knew there was hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle. And you were one of the first people whose voting record was consistent for decades. Come hell or high water, it looked to me like you were standing by what it was that you were preaching. And I was like, wow, this is extremely refreshing. You never see this in Washington. And, and the examples you're bringing up, Right. AOC walking around maskless after preaching to everybody else not to do that. Gavin Newsom out at, you know, out for fancy dinners. Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done at the salon while everything else was closed. Those are the things that make people's blood boil. And those are those are examples that that resonate. Isn't it a little bit sad? I understand exactly what you said, and I've heard it before, but it's sad that doing what you said you'd do and living up to the Constitution is is startling. What, what are we doing here? That, that, to me, is so sad that it's so rare. Somebody, or it doesn't happen too infrequent. When I was in Congress, especially, 
they'll come up and they'll want to praise me and, and compliment me. And they say, you know, Ron, you're the best congressman here, that we have here. And I say, yeah, but think about the competition. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's uh, – it's a it, it's a struggle, but uh, I, I in, fact, in spite of all this nonsense going on, I still remain pretty optimistic that ideas have consequences, and that's why I spend most of my time trying to convince other people that leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, and we'll both be happy. Yeah, it was funny. I didn't really know that that was a political you know, ideology back then in my early 20s, but that was kind of always how I felt. You know, I had a certain apathy towards what everybody else was doing, and I just wanted to be left alone. And when I was like, wow, there's there's a name for that, and that's like, you know, what our founders intended? Oh, great. You know, I love living here. Like, let's go. Let's go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, you know what, though, Chris? I think people are born with that instinct. I don't think you or I invented it, and I didn't invent it. I've heard about it, but I think there's a very natural instinct instinct. And I think it comes out when you watch two-year-olds as they are exerting themselves in their independence. But I think teenagers sort of grasp it. But nobody puts it in the proper words uh, to know that most of the time they beat it out of you. You know, don't do this. Conform. Do this. Go to a government school. And you are told – I've told people – you know, that uh, I had to spend a lot of time once I sort of made the discovery, uh, which would have been after I left college. I was in medical school, but I I started coming across Austrian economics. I said, you know, it took me a long time to unlearn all the stuff that the government school <laughs> stuffed, stuffed me stuffed into my brain. So uh, that's, that's the problem. And that's why maybe something good will come of these school closures. People are sick and tired of what's happening there. And of course, uh, you know that I have a homeschooling program, which uh, I, it's not gigantic, but uh, the numbers aren't the whole story. You know, if you can, if you can convert a couple hundred people who are serious minded and intelligent and, and they pursue it and they get involved. And that's why people like you that I meet that have been influenced by the past campaigns really gets me excited because so many people have done so many things. I just couldn't dream of it because I work on the assumption that all societies have have a uh, have a remnant, people who retain right. and want the truth and hold the truth together, and both in a both in a spiritual way and also in the principles of liberty that the, that the there it's it's there, and so uh, it's usually thought of that well it'll be the the older generation that will cling and cling to things as the dictators come in, but in a way it's you, you and I joining the remnant uh, that smaller group. But we'll uh, have uh, every bit of – but that's why people shouldn't be discouraged. Well, I don't have a platform. Well, you might get one. Leonard Reed of the Foundation for Economic Education, he says, don't worry about it. Don't go out thinking you have to have a big crowd and all this kind of stuff. Right. Just do your job, learn it, and 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 if they know what you're talking about, uh, they they will respect you for it, and then eventually they'll come to you. 
And I've had that happen, and it really excites me because it was so much of Leonard's predictions that people people will come to you, and I'm sure you have had that already because you have certain positions. They might ask you because they're looking for people with information they can trust. That's the biggest problem we have now, the, 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 the trust. And governments now exist only because it's based on lies for for an authoritarian government to work, uh, you know, uh, lies, lies are the only way they can do it. Telling the truth, as I said in my book, truth is treason to these people. Right. They don't want you to tell nope. the truth. So tell the truth and you'll be very successful. Yeah, it's an interesting concept that we're born uh, kind of with that ideology kind of in our, in our instinct, uh, in our DNA already. Because, <laughs> as you know, as I discovered libertarianism and separately discovered Austrian economics. As I went into the world of finance, I started, you know, reading up on Austrian economics. So I was like, wow, this makes a whole lot of sense. And then when, of course, I found out that was part and parcel with the libertarian movement, I was like, oh, of course, you know, because I was really wandering somewhat aimlessly uh, in my early 20s when it came to, you know, what, what was my outlook on the world? What was, you know, how did I feel about certain things? And I don't know, it just, it felt like it just made sense to me. Like I didn't have to figure it out. You know, every time I would read more about the libertarian movement, it just made sense. And so, you know, you're a big part in catalyzing that. So, you know, it excites me too. I want to talk about uh, yesterday, of course, your son did a uh, brilliant job cross-examining uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, I'm sure most of my listeners uh, and most of your listeners are already familiar with what took place yesterday. But I wanted to know, first off, did you get a chance to look at those uh, documents and emails, the DARPA documents and the leaked emails that were released uh, yesterday? Not, not in detail, especially if it was the original, which is very important, uh, because that print might not be good enough for me. But the stories that were written and the testimonies and the back and forth, yeah, I, I read, read that. But I think uh, from what I get from this, this is big news. You know, this, yeah, I agree. This, this, this is a very, very important. And that's the whole thing. It took a long time. <clears throat> it wasn't total news to some of us, but it was verification. Uh, because our position has been with on this in, on our program is we'll disagree with people, but we won't say, well, uh, masks are bad. You shouldn't wear them, and they should do away with this. You know, it's it's we want choice, right. freedom of choice. You get to make up your mind. And besides, these aren't choices when the government controls everything with money. And that's why I really emphasize this whole thing for the corruption in medicine because of the pharmaceutical companies and all the doctors indirectly, uh, not all, but a lot of the doctors indirectly get all their pay and everything else uh, from, from the government. So they're, they have, they're regulated, and if, they, if they're in a large clinic, uh, the, the clinic, uh, uh, you know, you wouldn't own the clinic. So the clinic is going to be getting contracts with the government, and they really cost them a lot of money. So they're going to enforce all those regulations, and they'll say, oh, it's your clinic that's doing this. It's, it's not the government. It's back to that blackmail type of thing. It's interesting looking back. I don't know if you recall, but I spoke to you in 2020, in early 2020, when COVID first uh, became a thing. And we were still kind of scrambling to figure out, uh, to understand more about this particular coronavirus. And I was asking you what your opinion was. And you said to me, oh, I think this is just being blown out of proportion to sell vaccines. And this was 
eight months or nine months before we even had a vaccine. And I thought to myself at the time, I said, man, he, you know, I love Dr. Paul, but I think he's a little off base. I don't know how he could, how he could draw those conclusions so quickly. Of course you have, you know, probably 50 years more experience than I do. But at the time I was like, ah, looking back now, all I can think was you were dead on. You were dead on with that. Um, that this was about, you know, drumming this up was about the vaccines to begin with. In those documents yesterday, uh, one of the DARPA documents talks about ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine. I don't want to uh, go talk about the documents since you didn't read them, but as a physician, uh, the documents seem to allude that, you know, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were having some success uh, throughout all stages of covid uh, stopping the viral replication and things like that. Do you think that those two have efficacy and do you think that they've been purposely suppressed? Oh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it because, uh, you know, right now they're starting to talk about we shouldn't be concentrating on the spread of the disease. We should be concentrating on treating the patient, you know, and this is coming, uh, you know, from the establishment people now more so that they have to shift their deal. And that's why a lot of the Democrats are are, harsh, are searching for an alternative because they're getting into a, a, a mess, uh, you know, over this whole thing. So there, there's been a lot of motivations for it. I think another thing that uh, happened was, um, first off, none of, none of the money was legal. It was all confiscated money. It was socialism and corporatism. And, and so it's, it's not so much uh, – it's not only whether they should do masks or not masks or what the treatment should be or what they should do with ivermectin. The whole thing is they shouldn't be doing anything. You know, they shouldn't they should just legalize, uh, you know, non-aggressive medical care and volunteerism between doctors and patients. And and that that means you don't even have to say, well, you can wear a mask. I guess I will support mandates for masks no longer than two hours a day or some silly thing like that. So that's uh, that, that's a distraction. <clears throat> but I think one other thing that has happened and this I thought about this early on. It is the fact that uh, we were already uh, witnessing the turndown from still the continuation of QE and what happened in 08. And we hadn't fully recovered and they were just printing money like crazy. And <clears throat> I think they had knew there was an, uh, this was going to get worse. So they had to find a scapegoat as well. So now they can say it's not the Fed. I mean, but there's some people now that still knows the Fed's at fault, but no, nobody's more angry and ready to abolish the Fed today than, not in a significant manner than they did two years ago. But uh, they're all caught, keyed in, spreading more money. The Fed has to print more money, and people are thinking about the COVID and the epidemic. And I, I think, in many ways, that's that's a distraction. And uh, now, that's one thing is. If, if somebody waves a wand and all of a sudden they wise up and they knock off all the silliness related to COVID, uh, I think the uh, evidence of the downturn in the economy will become quite uh, quite apparent. And uh, it's still out there, you know, and there's still a lot of problems. I mean, I think 
this news in the economy right now. Uh, the, uh, the price inflation is going up again today, the reports were. And, and there's a little bit of numbness to it. Today it was recognized, even though it was predictable, that the CPI, which was the government CPI, was at 7, 7% annually. You know, ordinarily uh, people would uh, be pretty upset with that. But uh, the, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of conditioning that done on that, and right now, uh, you, you know, it has not been resolved, and that's that's the big thing. But I think COVID was a distraction from the real cause, like they do wars. This was a war against a virus, but so often, uh, you know, after our uh, during our depression uh, in 19. 19- 41 uh, and leading up to world war ii it was very very often written about still that uh, we were maneuvered into the war and we still hear you've heard people say you know what we need is a good war that'll get us out of the depression and which is junk i mean that is junk science it's craziness it's uh, really doubtful so a war is always good for the economy <clears throat> some people believe so it's a war against the virus they think that's going to be helpful and uh, temporarily it seems to be helpful look at they passed out trillions and trillions of dollars and everything seemed to be okay but right now they're finding out that that they didn't really solve the problem you know that we can't even we can't even get supplies from the orient over here again the, the supply lines have broken down inflation is broken out so this is uh this is, uh, you know, at a time where we're seeing a big shift on what's happening. And it's uh, interesting stuff, but it's also very dangerous. Yeah, and the same, you know, corner that the Fed was backed in as a result of the policies in the 2000s that you're suggesting, uh, you know, they may have used COVID as a scapegoat for to try to, you know, get out of. They're, now they're backed into that corner yet again. With the 7% CPI print from this morning, inflation is out of control. I think even more frightening for them should be the fact that, you know, thanks to Bitcoin, a lot of the younger generation understands what's going on with the money supply now in a way that they never have before. So I think, you know, they're going to hold the Fed's feet to the fire a little bit more than they would have 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So what do they do now, Dr. Paul? Do they... Do they raise rates and crash markets, or do they, they just try to <clears throat> monetize everything? They, there is no answer because both they're, they're between the rock and the hard place. And, you know, if they don't do anything, you have uh, the runaway inflation comes more quickly. If they start trying to, they're pretending they're going to, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're talking about, you know, stopping the inflation that's coming. We have to do something about this. Well, they haven't really done anything yet. You know, they <laughs> cut back a little bit on the purchases, and then they say, well, uh, well, it looks like there's a lot of inflation there. We might have to raise interest rates four times. They think if you have a weak economy, you solve the problems of inflation. They think they think it's the uh, activity in the uh, in, in the economy that decides the price structure, and that has an effect on it. But that's not the reason you have cycles of inflation. It has to do with uh, you know the, the supply of money, and that's. Uh, that's what people don't want to hear about because I I think if they get anywhere in a cutting uh, inter, or, or raising interest rates once or twice or where they uh, they slow up on it uh, I I don't think it'll happen like I think it was uh, you know about three or four years ago they tried it and they shrunk the uh, balance sheet a little bit 
and all of a sudden, you know, things were the markets was going were going down, and the Fed exists. The number, the most important purpose of the Fed is to maintain the stock market, you know, for the banks and and all the big corporations, and to maintain our world empire. And the uh, and the people around the world say, well, we can't be without the dollar. We're all invested in the dollar, so they. Uh, they don't try to bring us down, even though some some of them could. But when push comes to shove, and there's more, uh, we further uh, overreach our our efforts and become more ornery with sanctions and wars and threats. Uh, the more likely is one of these days, one of these countries are, you know, somebody like uh, China uh, and others just might say, "Well, we're going to dump your dollars." But we're not there yet, and I I don't think their effort to slow the inflation is going to work. I think they're going to do it, and they'll say, well, we can't. The people will demand it, and it will be from uh, the uh, uh, people who are on welfare, food stamp type, and the corporate welfareists, and they're bigger than the ones who are getting food stamps. So the the demands will be there, even though there's – the whole thing is set up. They claim, well, we have to have welfare to take care of the poor people who are suffering. But who's suffering right now from the inflation taxes, the poor people, because percentage-wise, their prices for food are going up much more so than if you have a good income. And so that's a tax, and yet they're not willing to talk about well, let's get rid of the tax. Oh, you mean you, we should quit spending? Yeah, that's what you would have to do. It's not going to happen, so we can just better buckle our belts and get prepared because it's going to get a lot rougher uh, before this is all over. Well, it's the most it's the most regressive tax inflation, and it is the most nefarious tax because many you know lower income and middle income people don't even understand how inflation affects them. They don't understand how the monetary policy machine works uh you know the the benefits of it for the politicians the elected officials the global elites the billionaires is that uh you know monetary policy is kind of an engine that works in the background and you know people that are working day jobs as bartenders or working at your local grocery store or pumping gas they they may not even understand it but for just seeing the prices go up and knowing that it's going to uh, it's going to make life a little bit tougher for them. So it really mm. is. It's nefarious. So I just have two more questions for you. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to let you go. The first is just to bring it right back to COVID. I wanted to ask you this earlier. Um, it seems like you think there is a narrative uh, shift here occurring. Uh, I feel like over the last week I've seen it in the media with some of their comments uh, in the way that they're reporting COVID. Do you, do you see that? Do you see them coming around? And is that, you oh, know, yeah, I think, I think so. And it's, it can be helpful, but there will be some, you know, things that uh, won't go smoothly. Uh, and, but, but no, I, I think so. And I think the, the other thing I mentioned on the program today is, is that sentiment. <laughs> what I get a big kick out of it is the sentiment uh, of how things aren't going well, right. the Democrats are split on it. You know, those hearings yesterday <laughs> had the Democrats yelling and screaming, you, you know, at uh, Fauci. It wasn't, they, they were screaming more than just at Rand. They were screaming, you, you know, at Fauci, uh, uh, you, you know, be, because he, uh, uh, they don't have any answers. Actually, they were 
they were upset with the administration. I thought it was an important point because uh, the the Congress, uh, Democratic congressmen are going home and they're getting quizzed. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And we're getting hit and they want some answers. And of course, they don't have any answers. And uh, so it's uh, it's not just Republicans who are complaining about, uh, you, you know, the uh, the, the you know people like Fauci and and also uh, the people doing all these mandates. I think it's uh, I think the Democrats have gone home and the people. That's a sign the people are waking up and they've had enough of the mandates. And that's <laughs> why I think we I think we're going to have some improvement. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, my last question, Doctor Paul, and thank you again for your time. As a physician, um, do you think that this new variant? Let's just assume all things being equal, it is uh, exactly the way that they say it is. It's, you know, 10 times more infectious than Delta, but it's, you know, uh, it's about as uh, deadly as the common cold. Uh, Do you think that if those hold true, that this variant could actually act kind of as a vaccine uh, in the sense that it provides, you know, it's going to spread regardless of whatever we do, and and it provides you know, a, a light look at COVID for people's immune systems. Does that make sense or am I off base? Well, I, I think it's uh, what we're dealing with is more like a cold and possibly uh, somewhat like a, a flu. And that's the way it's going to be treated. But you can't, they're not going to be able to make uh, make a vaccine. That's why they should quit. But even the people now that are coming around and Pfizer came in and seemed to have a slightly different position that the boosters aren't working, but they want another drug and another vaccine. You know, they want to do something else. Uh, but now I think the, uh, I think the people are going to, uh, see it, see a, a, a difference, but I don't, uh, I don't think that, uh, all of a sudden this stuff's going to go away, but I, I don't, I, I don't think, I think you do get some immunity from, from this, but I think hopefully what it does is teach people how to work on natural immunity. And uh, I want people to know about natural immunity, and I want people to wake up and say, I don't want this concept of a vaccine passport to go any further, and we should demand that it stop. Because those two things would give us a little reprieve, you know, if we if we emphasize, uh, you know, better health and uh, natural immunity. Now we're it's prohibited. You can't even do something. Ivermectin had essentially been made illegal, and uh, but I think that's going to shift. And people right now it's back to what I said earlier. Uh, the, the whole purpose should be promoting our freedoms and to make these decisions ourselves, and that would solve a lot of our problems. And uh, that's uh, uh, too many people have become dependent on the government just spending more money and being taken care of by the government. And if the COVID war doesn't distract people and make everybody satisfied, uh, then they'll start some other war. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's still it's still still it's still important for people to try to understand really the fantastic benefits of living in a free society. We've had a taste of it. We know about it. And uh, we should do whatever we can. And I know you're doing your part, and that's great. Yeah, you don't know what you've got until it's gone, though, unfortunately, I think, for for a lot of people, Dr. Paul. And uh, I think you said it best when you said real patriotism is a willingness to challenge the government when it's wrong. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think more people need to do that. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Paul. I really appreciate it. All right, Chris. Nice to be with you. Bye-bye. All right. Speak to you soon. That was the one, the only Dr. Ron Paul, the man that got me into libertarian thinking himself. 
wonderful for him to make time for me today to make a half that guy made a half hour for me today guys like the last true american patriot in history and uh makes a half hour for me uh to sit down and talk about podcasts you know it's funny i used to think like when i was uh i really got into ron paul's uh ideology decades ago uh when i first started following him and i was reading all of his books and everything i used to have dreams about like meeting him like yeah man Maybe I'll get to meet this guy someday, you know, and now I just get to talk to him and he's nice enough to make time for me, which uh, I appreciate. There's a short list of maybe five or few people that I would give a shit enough to want to sit down and and talk to if, you know, uh, that I could check off my list, my bucket list of people I'd like to have a chance to talk to in my life. And he's one of them. So, uh, again, thank you, Dr. Paul. And thank you to you, the podcast listener, for continuing to support the podcast through Patreon and through checking out my blog, Fringe Finance. The link is in my podcast description. And uh, thank you, of course, for listening. I will be back soon. All right. Peace.